God of grace and mercy, God of power and might, God of strange and wondrous surprises, God of meeting us in tents and on streets, in the world, in our lives and in our communities, help us to meet you here today, to see your face and for you to see ours, for us to connect and be present. And please guide our mouths, our souls, our hearts, our words, our actions. And in the ways where we stray from you, where we err from you, help us to start over again tomorrow. Um, because you are God who is a resurrection God in whom there is always the opportunity for change and transformation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, so, one thing, which is that, as you can hear from my voice, uh, I was felled by sickness a little bit this week. So there are a couple things that um, we were going to get out this week that we didn't, like a spiritual gifts assessment that will all be coming out tomorrow. So if you were super excited for that, it's still coming. Remain excited. Um, and the reason that we send out that spiritual gifts assessment is because this month, all this month, we have been thinking about meaning in our lives, meaning in our lives. Because so many of us are missing meaning, first of all. <laughs> it feels like it walks right by us, or we don't know how to see it, or we don't know what it is, or we don't know where it comes from. But also because meaning, it turns out, is the foundation of true, um, satisfying life living. Many of us have been chasing happiness, we've been chasing contentment, we've been chasing momentary satisfaction, when in fact, meaning is the thing that drives us as human beings. Meaning is the thing that shapes us and makes us new and makes us different, and more of us need more of it in our lives. And our world and our culture aren't really constructed to help us <laughs> figure out where the meaning is and where the meaning lies. We are much more constructed around um, immediacy, happiness, satisfaction, right? We have 24-hour convenience stores. We do not have 24-hour meaning stores, you know? <laughs> Go find your purpose. Aisle six is not a thing yet. Um, so we've been looking all month at, the, at these, and the first two, while profound and shaping and changing, may not have surprised you too much. There are these four pillars of meaning that this not particularly religious, or at least that's not um, what she forwards with, um, uh, uh, positive psychologist Emily Esfahani Smith and reporter has pointed out the four pillars of meaning. The first two might not have surprised you that much, belonging and purpose. They're hard. There was a lot to talk about. But they're the kind of things you think about when you think about what a meaningful life is, right? Uh, where, how am I seen? What communities am I a part of? What drives me forward? What organizes my life? What am I here for? What am I doing? This third one may surprise you a little bit, and the fourth next week may surprise you more. Next week, we're going to talk about storytelling, which will be a lot of fun. And this week, we're talking about transcendence. One of the things she's found is that all of us, a pillar of leading a meaningful life, is having some sort of regular experience of transcendence, that we need transcendence in our lives. So first, to think about that, what is transcendence, <laughs> right? Let's get some definitions. Um, transcendence, it turns out, is a big tent of human experiences. Um, when we hear transcendence, we can have a tendency to go immediately towards the most um, out of norm and extreme spiritual and mystical experiences we've ever heard of, right? Lightning bolt hits a tree in front of you, you have a different sense of who God is, 
those things are real. Those things happen. Those things have happened to people in this church, and those moments of transcendence are extraordinary, but they're not the only thing that transcendence means. <laughs> transcendence is any moment, experience, uh, part of your life in which you start to feel connected to something much, much larger than yourself in a way that takes you out of the normal boundaries of human experience, in a way that takes you out of the normal boundaries of human experience. So some really good markers of that are a feeling that, that um, time no longer exists. If you've had a moment in your life when it sort of felt like time melted away, you either didn't notice how much time was passing or it felt like time wasn't real, or maybe space melted away. It felt like you were sort of so in whatever you were doing, so in your bodily experience or emotional or spiritual experience, you didn't even notice what was happening around you, or that the boundaries of yourself melted away. Your ego, not in the sense of your arrogance, but just in the sense of your personhood, that you felt intimately and deeply connected to all other people or to God, right? That it wasn't just about you, you're, you're a part of a community. These are some markers of transcendent moments that either time, space, or the self seem to disappear in the ways that they normally really orient our human experience, right? Most of our human experience is all about where in time am I, where in space am I, who am I, what am I doing? Moments of transcendence are where those things seem to go away a little bit. And we can experience moments of transcendence in all kinds of different ways. Sometimes it is that radical, radical awareness of and presence of God, where we just feel like, like Moses in the tent of, tent of meeting, we are meeting God in the form of a pillar of clouds or of a, um, an insight in our life or of... Uh, just an overwhelming feeling. For some folks, it's um, a sensation of physical warmth or of being enveloped and enwrapped, of being truly loved, um, that sense of presence. For others, it tends to be um, a sense of oneness, that there are these transcendent moments where you just feel at one with the whole universe. And some folks, it happens um, a lot while you're singing or dancing. These are really common places to find moments of transcendence, whether that's in worship or at the club on Saturday night, right? Those are, those are both really uh, fundamental and important ways of feeling transcendence. For others, it's looking at a beautiful piece of art, and all of a sudden, it's like you and that piece of art exist outside of time and space. It has done something to you. It has moved your soul. Um, for others, you know, holding a baby or taking a bite out of an apple that is just like the essence of apple right in the middle of September, you know, and the juices in your mouth and you're just awake and alive to the way that cells and atoms come together to do things that we never thought they could do. Um, so there's lots of ways to experience transcendence. There's lots of ways that it enters our life. For others, it's in personal conversation and intimacy, relational intimacy, um, for, uh, for some folks, it really only happens when you're away or in the quiet, when you've, con when you've constructed a place that is far. Um, I think that's how it was for Moses. That's part of why it says the tent of meeting was away from the people, right? I think Moses, as a leader of 600,000 strangers who was constantly having people ask him for stuff, a really important part for him of finding transcendence was finding away time, away space, quiet space. If you're someone who, say, 
works on a computer all day without any human contact, <laughs> it may be exactly the opposite. It may be that you only find moments of transcendence when you're in the middle of a big sweaty crowd <laughs> or when you're on the street surrounded by people and when all of a sudden you become aware of the ways in which our human experience is one thing, one beautiful thing that we're all a part of. So transcendence comes in many forms, comes in many styles, comes in many types. Um, the most profound forms of transcendence don't just happen for a minute or for a day, but they change us for life. Um, that somehow that feeling of, I am a part of something big. <laughs> I am a part of God, or I am a part of the universe, or I am a part of this grand people, is something that we feel most acutely in one moment or on one day. But then kind of the, the flames of that or the lessons of that stay with us. They make us maybe more generous towards one another, <laughs> more understanding of one another, um, more seeking of connection to God and to the things that God has made, the people that God has made, because of how much that transcendent moment affected us. This is why transcendence is a really critical part of meaning, because it both places us in a really eternally important story. Moments of transcendence offer us meaning because they alert us to the fact that something very big is going on, even if our life can feel very mundane and very small. Um, and so that makes things feel meaningful. But they also um, alert us to meaning by occasionally showing us aspects of life that we wouldn't otherwise see. So they're really important. Having moments of transcendence, I think, is really important for your own spiritual health, um, and also for building meaning in your life. But knowing that it's important doesn't necessarily help you get them, right? Like the whole thing about transcendence is that it transcends our ability to control. You can't sort of say to God, okay, God, I need a really intense mystical experience tomorrow, like Tuesday at 10 a.m., take care of it, you know? Uh, make me feel one with the universe. Uh, make me feel one with the people around me. Um, you, you, transcendence doesn't come on order. It's not like a burger and fries. <laughs> but, but, I think there are a lot of things we can do to create the conditions for transcendence to meet us. Because part of the problem is that in our current culture and the way that we're formed, we really put up a lot of barriers between us and transcendence. We put up a lot of brick walls between us and transcendence. Whether it's our own skepticism, right, that, that miracles or that wondrous things or that joy can be real, <laughs> that peace can be attainable, um, or whether it's just the barrier of our own focused busyness, that we're like running around from thing to thing so frequently that even if a dove were to alight on the tree next to us, we'd never notice it in a thousand years. Even if the bush were to catch flame or in the tent there were to be a cloud, we would barely see it. Those are things that can be a barrier between us and transcendence. And a final one is that we don't, um, uh, we, either, we, we either don't set up a rhythm of life at all or we never break our usual rhythm of life, both of which are actually great ways to create the conditions for transcendence. <laughs> um, so Moses had this tent of meeting that he went to regularly, right? It was sort of his place of worship. It was his place of going away. Um, I don't think he necessarily had like a profound insight about life every single time he went. Maybe he did. Um, 
but the consistency of the going away, the consistency of the being there, helped to create the conditions so that he could regularly experience transcendence, even if he didn't experience it every time he created the condition. And then he also broke his rhythm. Like we said, his rhythm was one of intense connection with people, telling them what to do, being a judge, right? And so he broke his rhythm up by putting himself in a relationship with God where he didn't go to the meeting, tent of meeting and tell God what to do. He just went to listen. <laughs> he just went to figure out what was happening. I've been, it's been interesting. I've been watching my daughter have a really interesting spiritual experience this week. Um, she's about two and a half, and uh, she is related to me and talks always, <laughs> constantly, <laughs> just all the time. And I love everything she says, and I love that about her, and it's really, really great. But it's funny because the experience of doing anything with her, reading a book, watching a YouTube video, playing a game with toys, is that every 30 seconds there's a question. What, why, why, where, what, right? Some, why is this happening? And we got a new book. I've been looking for books that encourage sort of spiritual practice in addition to, to Bible books. And I found one called The Listening Walk, which is about a girl and her dog and her dad. And they go on walks where they do not talk, they listen. And it says all the things they hear. They hear the scritch scratch of the doggy's nails on the sidewalk. And they hear the creep, creep of the cricket, right? And so we do not talk, we listen on our listening walk. And we listen for what is happening in the world. And the first time we read it, indeed, what I thought would happen, happened, which is that she had a question every 15 seconds about, like, why is the dog on the leash? And why does it not go there? But then, every day since, she has come and asked us, usually before bedtime or in a quiet time, can we read the book where nobody talks? And then she's totally silent while we read it. <laughs> she's, and, and, and it's amazing to be like, oh, like we actually need those moments of transcendence that young, right? Like that, uh, this is actually sort of a human pillar of need like food and like water. Those moments where we switch up our rhythm and allow God to meet us in a different way. I think she is being spiritually impacted by changing up her usual rhythm, right? And that guidance has allowed her to do it. Many of us aren't taking that time. <laughs> we aren't setting those conditions, right? We aren't trying to figure out what's the thing that would shake up my rhythm What's the rhythm of life that would form me? And I, I want to thank um, the Mystic Soul Project for some of that language. Uh, some of you may be familiar with the Mystic Soul Project. Some of you may not. We are lucky enough to live in the city where it was founded. And our spring retreat will be led by one of its co-founders, Teresa Pascual Mateus. Um, but it's a group by and for queer people of color and people of color who have a lot of Christian experience but have found it sometimes to be limiting in the way that it approaches uh, mysticism and contemplative practice, who are sort of excavating ancient practices of mysticism and contemplation by people of color to shape their spiritual lives. And one of the first things they talk about as a rule of life there is rhythm over time. That we live in a, an extremely time-bound culture. I'm going to be there at 2. That starts at 3.15. Um, and, and inculcating rhythm over time is an important part of the spiritual life. So what are the ways you're gonna shake up your rhythm? What are the ways you might put one in place that you've never had before? <laughs> That's one way to set the conditions for transcendence. But I think all the other ways to set the conditions for transcendence, we hold in our hearts. They are wisdom that we don't need to get from a book. They're wisdom that we don't need to get from other people. They're wisdom that we have in our lives. And so I'm gonna ask us to do a little exercise where we talk to each other. I know. And if that is like deeply torturous to you, if it's your first time or talking to strangers is scary, 
feel free to look at your shoes or pray or take a minute, that's totally okay. But if not, I want you to think of a moment of transcendence that you've had. Some moment of transcendence, some moment of feeling at one of, with God, of some moment of feeling that there is a presence that is bigger or a lesson that is bigger, some moment of being released from time or space or the self. Think of a moment like that, a specific one, and turn to a friend and share it. And I'll say, ideally, the friend is not a friend who you live with or who you see every day, maybe a newer friend on the scale of friends and time, and share with each other that moment of transcendence and specifically how you got there, how you got there, like what kind of conditions set up that moment of transcendence. Share away.
Okay, let's gather into our large group again. Um, if someone would like to share, if someone can, would you like to share with us your moment of transcendence? Anything about it that feels important or any way that led up to it that you'd like to share? What, how are we transcending, everybody? Well, it sounds like you had sort of spent time with some ideas, spent time with these things, and that culminated. But then also, how did you get into that prayer session? How did you set up that? for sharing that. And I think it sounds like an important part that I know is true for me too is um, part of setting yourself up to be able to experience transcendence is just deciding that transcendence does happen, right? That like, that actually miracles and wondrous things and strange things do happen to people and uh, allowing oneself to believe that and to enter into that. Some other moments of transcendence people have had? And it sounds like some moments of transcendence, I think, are experiential. Some also are accompanied by insight, which it sounds like was a thing for you, right? That a sort of lesson comes or a, um, a direction comes. And those are real gifts. And I also want to point out, um, 
in our current culture on the sort of more like new agey side of things, there can be a sense, and with all of us really, there's also wonderful things to be found in new age, uh, but uh, transcendence can be defined in this way that is um, transcending all bodily experience basically, like becoming above it or better than it, right? Like I'm no longer held down by my body, I'm no longer held down by the physical earth. This sort of rejection, um, for Christians especially, that really can't be how we think of transcendence because the core of our faith story is incarnation, you know? Um, that our bodily experience is a gift. Our particular experience is a gift. Who we are in this body, in this time, in this space, are, are gifts and a part of how we experience spiritual insight. And so what I love about both of your stories is that um, it's in the act of gardening, right? The physical act of feeling in your body, in the dirt, with the plants, of moving in the, in the skiing as well as seeing the earth. It's not that somehow you've become aware of something that's separate and better than you and you get to join it. The you is a part of the thing, right? The you is a part of the bigger thing you're becoming a part of. Um, and so many of us who dwell in shame because we live in a shame-based culture can, can have the tendency to want a transcendence that releases us from ourselves. Um, but if you're not in it, it's not who God is, because God made you. <laughs> so real transcendence always is you as a part of something bigger, not superseded by, made better by something bigger. Yeah. So thank you so much. Other stories of transcendence? I'll say for me, um, I'm a... I, get caught in mind loops a lot, right? Like a overthinking. And a couple of, of really profound moments of transcendence I've had come at moments of physical exhaustion because I think I can just no longer maintain my, my uh, unhelpful thought patterns. They just like fall apart. So for a long time I was a competitive swimmer. And um, uh, you may not know this by my everyday interactions with people, which is why swimming was good for me as opposed to like a contact or a team sport, but I am super competitive. <laughs> so uh, one of my events in swimming, thank goodness, was the longest one, which in high school is the 500, in college it's the mile. Um, and so for the first couple of laps, I would always, so you're, you're, you're swimming sort of constantly at a racing level for like eight to 10 minutes. Um, and the first couple minutes, I would always do what I did in all races, which is uh, think some really negative and curse-filled thoughts towards my competitors and be like, no, I'm gonna beat you, I'm gonna get you, and I had this like rage monster in my head. Um, uh, but because it was so long, the longer it went on and the longer I was pushing myself and the longer that I was at my physical limits, the more I would enter into a sort of state of flow where I no longer remembered how long I had been swimming, I no longer remembered how many laps I had gone, I would have to have someone right remind me like when to stop the race. Um, and my body had reached such a peak of physical exhaustion that my mind and my spirit could enter into a place that is harder for me, for them to enter into, which is of, um, like not directiveness, of openness, of not thinking, of not trying to think about a thing, but of just being. And those felt really, really freeing. And I think physical activity can help us reach those. It's different for you. I'm not saying everybody go out and become physically exhausted immediately. Um, but, but those can be really freeing moments for some of us too. Um, the state of flow in general. Some of you may be familiar with this concept, the psychological concept of flow, where you are in a task that is both 
so engaging to you um, that it takes your full attention. And so you no longer notice how long it's taking or whether it's hard. You no longer feel distraction, right? You're totally in whatever the task is. That state of flow, I think, is a real state of transcendence. Um, other moments, experiences that occur that you've had that are on your mind? Yeah. sharing that. We have to set the conditions for these experiences. <laughs> and it won't work every time, but it allowing our hearts to be open, right? Allowing our hearts to be directed, allowing our bodies to be open and directed, where we say, I believe that there are wonders at work. <laughs> and I want to see where they are. And that might not happen in every moment of every day. Um, but it's something that I'm open to. It's something that I'm prepared for. Uh, setting the conditions by setting up a rhythm of life where we routinely come into contact with God in some way. One thing, a lot of people will have like a daily devotional or a daily time of prayer. Um, those can be really, really extraordinary experiences. I also think I've increasingly found people really impacted by having, as Moses had with the tent of meeting, some kind of physical space that you return to over and over again. Um, there's a reason that so many of our cultures have long histories of altars, right? Of, of um, places that we go to worship. And so I've had folks set up, I mean, literally in a closet in your house or in like a little place next to a window. You just put a little icon that really means something to you or you put a candle or a scarf or a something that then when you return to that place, you think this is the place where I'm really preparing myself to meet something big, to meet something new, to be in the presence of God. And you will not feel it every time. You won't, right? Like this is a part of the journey. It's not going to be um, all fireworks all the time, but it, it sets you up for being able to have those moments. Putting yourself into contact with more things that are about creativity and beauty. <laughs> Theater, art, um, our world allows us to encounter so much more <laughs> poetry and visual art. And the, the fact that you can like log on and go onto YouTube and see a spoken word piece that you've never seen before, right? You don't have to have money or resources um, to access some of this stuff. All of that stuff, I think we tend to label things art that um, shock us into another form of human experience, 
That's kind of right. And so they tend to be really good at that. <laughs> um, uh, or setting yourself up so that whatever your tendencies are, you go the opposite direction. So that if you're very verbal, you go for quiet. Or if you're very visual, you go for maybe closing your eyes and seeing what happens. That if you're um, very much about like physical pleasure, uh, that maybe you fast for a day. Or that if you sort of tend to be an austere or simple person, that you do something very rich and indulgent for a day, right? That, that you both set up rhythms and break those rhythms are really important ways of setting yourself up for transcendence. And that the biggest way is just believing that extraordinary things happen <laughs> and welcoming God to do them in your life um, and welcoming God to meet you where you are and welcoming others to be a part of this extraordinary experience that we are having, which is called life. Um, I think that these moments of transcendence are really important. And I want to read to you a final quote um, as we consider this from, if you have not had a devotional life at any point that was um, kind of focused on spiritual growth, a first book that I always recommend to folks is Meditations of the Heart by Howard Thurman. Um, it's a book of short spiritual essays um, that are great, but he opens it with this passage. There is in every person an inward sea, and in that sea there is an island, and on that island there is an altar, and standing guard before that altar is the angel with the flaming sword, Nothing can get by that angel to be placed upon that altar unless it has the mark of your inner authority. Nothing passes the angel with the flaming sword to be placed upon your altar unless it be part of the fluid area of your consent. This is your crucial link with the eternal God. Transcendence makes meaning in part because it connects us to eternity of space and time. It connects us to wholeness of kingdom and community, but it can only do that if we let it by, <laughs> if we let it in. I really believe, I really feel this image that Thurman has of this inner sea and this inner island and this inner wisdom and consciousness and voice that so many of us carry that is connected to the wisdom of our ancestors, <laughs> that is connected to the story of who God is, um, that that we are trained for a long time to not listen to in favor of more temporally immediate voices like do this, do that, make sure that happens. And there is a risk that many of us have been taught over time to letting too many things by the angel that is in front of your inner sea, the angel that is in front of your inner island, by being too swayed or too rocked or letting too easily your whole spiritual life be upended. Um, but I think most of us are dealing with the opposite problem, which is that we don't let anything go past the angel. <laughs> we give to nothing our consent to change us. We give to nothing the consent to come into our inner sea and to make home on our inner island and teach us something about our inner wisdom and the way that God is working through us and in us and is present to us all the time. We've become afraid or we've become unfamiliar with what it means to live a life where that takes precedence over all of the other stuff, <laughs> where transcendence is not only real, but life-changing for long, long periods of time. So many of us are so busy running from one thing to another, we wouldn't notice if a, bur if a bush burned right in front of us, and we're lacking because of it. So set the conditions for transcendence. Try and find them, try and make them. It won't happen right away, and there's no failure to you if it doesn't. <laughs> transcendence will look differently to each of us. 
but try and set up a rhythm in your life for meeting God, and then whatever rhythms have been automatic to you, try and break them so that God might surprise you. Do both, ask friends, continue to believe that mystics and wonders might occur, and see what happens. And we will all do that together in pursuit of this wonderful thing called meaning that transcendence might offer us. Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs>